All right. Well, hey, go ahead and have a seat. We have a very, very special day today at Overlake, and uh, it is my honor and privilege to introduce to you our, our teacher and our speaker today. It's Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil is a dynamic speaker, author, and trailblazer with over 25 years of experience in the Ministry of Ethnic and Gender Reconciliation. She's an associate professor at the School of Theology at Seattle Pacific University, where she directs the Reconciliation Studies Program. She served on staff at InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for 14 years as a multi-ethnic ministry specialist. She earned an MDiv from Fuller Theological Seminary, my alma mater, uh, a D-min from Palmer, Palmer Theological Seminary, and was awarded a Doctorate of Humane Letters from North Park University. She's an ordained pastor in the Evangelical Covenant Church. She's also a pastor at Quest Church in Seattle with our friend Eugene Cho. In addition, she serves on the board of directors for Wycliffe USA and InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA. She's the co-author of The Heart of Racial Justice and the author of Credible Witness. By the way, she has some books available today as well. Brenda lives in Seattle with her husband, Dr. J. Derek McNeil, and their two young adult children. She also joined Overlake for our Inviting Jesus into the Race Conversation night we had together, and that was really, really powerful. I know several hundred of you were there. In addition to all of this, I just want you to know that she's my friend. And I am so excited for the opportunity to sit under her teaching today. So Overlake, would you please give a warm Overlake welcome to Dr. Brenda McNeil. It's my pleasure to be with you, and it's really an honor. I was sitting there thinking as I was worshiping with you what I would say to begin. And what I really want to say is, have you ever been to someone's house and not really knowing them, but when you go in, you just feel like the house is warm. You almost want to say to the people, you really just, something about the spirit of your house feels welcoming or homey. By show of hands, who knows what I'm talking about, you know? You just can feel it. I feel something about Overlake. I really do. Every time I come, the, the times I've been, I just feel something really welcoming about you. And so it's my joy, really, to come and invest myself here. I so much believe that God has such great things uh, for this family of God located in this, lo in this place. And so it's with huge, like almost like open the gate, let me go, excitement that I want to preach to you today because I believe God's got great plans for this church. Amen. <laughs> I really believe that. And so I want to direct your attention to uh, a small verse to begin with in the book of Acts. I know that you've been looking through the book of Acts, and so that got me psyched up because I've been thinking and reading and writing some things out of the book of Acts. And so I'll be sharing that with you as we think together about what it means to be the people of God on mission together, right? So this sermon title would be simply together. And I really do believe God is going to unpack some things to us about that one word today. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, there's a verse that probably you've heard before if you've been coming around the church thing for a while. And, and today I think I want to see if we can't really unpack what Jesus was talking about. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's right before Jesus is going to be ascended into heaven. These are the last words he's going to say before the disciples are looking up in the air watching Jesus leave them forever in physical form. 
arm. And so the last thing he says to them is this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Listen once again, would you please, to this verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of God. And I'm so grateful. Let's pray. God, it is not by might or by power, but it's by your spirit, says God that any good things take place in or through us. And so it's in this moment that I pause and I ask your spirit to speak to us. You have our full undivided attention. We haven't come to church just because it's the thing we do. We've come to gather and meet with you together. We wanna hear what you have to say to us. And so thank you for the worship that has prepared our hearts to hear you. And now, Lord God, we ask you through the preached word to speak. For we ask it with anticipation in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, in 1947, I know, I know, 1947, something happened that I learned about from a guy who's into airplanes. Now, I'm not, but he showed me a video that so blew my mind that I've never forgotten about it. And I'd heard about it sort of vaguely in history, but I didn't really know about it. But there was a guy named Chuck Yeager, a pilot, Captain Chuck Yeager. And in 1947, he did something that no other pilot had ever done prior to that time. In fact, other people tried to do it and died in pursuit of the goal. They had come to the conclusion that it was impossible that no one could do it, that it was beyond human capacity to kind of go for this goal. But Chuck Yeager, on this day in October of 1947, he actually did it. On that day, against all odds, he got and hit the cockpit of his plane. He went full force beyond Mach 1. The plane began shaking. Everybody thought he would die indeed, and somehow he broke through the sound barrier. And what he discovered, unlike everybody's fear, was that instead of death, which is what seemed certain, on the other side was complete and total tranquility, a peace that no human being had ever experienced, some sort of a stillness, nirvana, heavenish kind of an experience that even Chuck Yeager couldn't put into words. It didn't kill him, it transformed him. And I've never forgotten that because in some ways this verse that Jesus says to these disciples that seems so small is actually challenging them and us, the followers of Jesus Christ, to get into a cockpit of our lives and navigate forward toward the kingdom of God against all odds and there will be shaking that will happen that will make us wonder if it is possible to be the people that God wants us to be and do the things that God has called the church, the believers, the disciples of Christ to do, we are sometimes like Chuck Yeager. We are playing the odds and it doesn't look like they're in our favor when Jesus says, I am calling you to break through barriers. 
Amen. I heard an amen, and it makes me happy. Anybody else got one? Go for it. It'll help me preach better. Amen. And so, I'm here to tell you, most of the world doesn't think it's possible. For them, it would be like breaking through the sound barrier to be the people that God says we are as the church. And so, here in our text, Jesus says to them that you're going to be my disciples, and even though you're asking about when you're going to have the kingdom restored to you, when is God going to cause the church to actually be respected and have authority and power, you just know this. It's going to happen, but not like you think it's going to happen. And it's seems like Jesus is trying to suggest to them that there's going to be some natural progression to how this process of becoming witnesses is going to happen. It doesn't sound like, boom, you're going to be witnesses. Boom, people are going to believe your testimony. Boom, when you stand to take the stand in the courtroom of life where people are trying to decide is this gospel real or not and you stand to take the witness stand and you promise to tell the truth and nothing but the truth so help you God because you say you want to be a witness do know this says Jesus your testimony is not going to be believed instantly it's not going to happen just like that you're going to be my witnesses first it seems in Jerusalem you're going to take the witness stand in front of people on your home turf Jerusalem, that place where people know you and you know them, that place where people eat food that you like and speak the language that you speak and even laugh at our corny jokes, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is that place that we call home. And it's not unfamiliar. So overlay, this would be your Jerusalem. And at first, Jesus is saying that you're going to practice getting into the cockpit of your life and being my witness, being the one who is able to take the witness stand in defense of who I say I am and who I say and what I say will come called this kingdom. You will take my stand, you will take this witness stand and you will give your testimony. But first, you're going to give it around the dining room table in your own house. Amen. Amen. You know, I find, because I am on the board of Wycliffe USA, which is a missions organization where people go to far-flung places like Papua New Guinea and, you know, folks where, where people really want to go beyond mission. But Jesus says, don't start in Papua New Guinea. Start in your crib. Amen. Start in your house. Talk to your uncle about the joke he just told that's not nice. I used to think that being a witness in Jerusalem was easy, but the truth is being a witness in Jerusalem ain't that easy at all because people know us and they're watching us. Amen. That's our brothers and sisters and folks who grew up with us. They're going to give us a hard time because they know us for real. And when we try to give our testimony and witness to who God is, they're going to remind us of who we used to be. Jerusalem ain't easy, people of God. And Jesus says, you'll start there and you'll feel the shaking happening. And it will be nervous when you start to stand up for the kingdom and speak about the things I call you to with people who look like you and, and think like you. And you're going to have to challenge them to become more like the kingdom. And that's not going to be an easy thing to do. But that's where you start. But you don't stop there. Then he says, to be my witnesses, really, to be representatives of who I am is going to take you from Jerusalem, your home turf, to a place called Judea. Now, Judea is so confusing, and I tell you why. It looks a lot like Jerusalem. So much so that you can almost think they're one and the same. Jerusalem, Judea. 
big deal. People kind of look the same in Jerusalem and Judea. They kind of speak the similar dialect and what have you. So what makes Jerusalem and Judea so different? It's the subcultures. It's the little nuances. It's the stuff where we all look like we're all American or we're all in the United States, but then we start talking to each other when we find out that there's a difference between Republicans and Democrats. <laughs> Amen. See? See, we got it immediately. You see? That's the subtlety of, Jer of Jerusalem and Judea. Judea is the place where on one level we look like we all get it, but if you scratch the surface and go to those deeper places, you find that we are ideologically so different from one another that it causes the plane to really start to shake. It's where Catholics and Protestants have to have a conversation. It's where people, uh-huh, it's where people uh, uh, between generations have to have have a conversation. It's where my kids text me and I have to have somebody tell me, what did he say? Because I'm not sure what the text meant. That's the difference in Judea and it scares us. It's where socioeconomic divides are between the haves and the have-nots. And we thought we were all on the same page and we realized that we see life radically different. Jesus says, if you're going to be my witnesses, you're going to leave Jerusalem and you're going to get into the subcultures of Judea and and it's gonna scare you in the cockpit of faith as you try to move forward as the witnesses that I call you to be. And then he says, and if you thought Jerusalem and Judea challenged you, just wait till you get to Samaria. Huh. <laughs> just wait till you get to that place where Jews and Samaritans don't have anything to do with each other. Just wait till you go to that place that's hostile to you and wonders what are you doing in their neighborhood. Wonders why do you even come over here? Who you already have a sense of them and you don't like what you've heard and they've got a sense of you and they don't like what they've heard. And the truth is we find all kinds of ways to avoid going there. Whole freeways are made to keep us from going through Samaria, amen. Amen. We can find creative ways, Mike, to get around Samaria so that we can get to the, to the ballpark or to the stadium and watch a game, but never, ever, ever interact with the place that's around it. Samaria. Uh-huh. See, that's why we got quiet. Because we all know that Samarias exist, don't we? And we all know that there are places we don't go, and they scare us, and the people there scare us. And we feel like we've got to protect ourselves from them because they might be illegal. They might hurt us. I've heard some things about them and you just can't be sure. It's nighttime and I'd never try Samaria. And Samarians don't want us around there either. So where's your Samaria? Where's the place that we avoid intentionally? Jesus says, if you're going to be my witnesses, you're going to go smack dab through the middle of it. You're going to stop going around it. You're going to stop avoiding it. You're going to stop coming up with Christian excuses that get exonerate you from dealing with it. Oh, my witnesses are going to be transformed through the sound barriers that I challenge them to engage. Just like Chuck Yeager who was frightened for his life, my disciples will be scared too.
and they will have white knuckled grips on the, on the steering wheel of their plane, but they will keep pressing forward to the kingdom of God, though it shakes them and it scares them as they talk to people who look like them, and then as they interact with subcultures that disagree with them, and then when they go to places that are hostile to them, and they don't understand it, and they don't know why everybody's mad, and what is this Black Lives Matters anyway stuff all about? It's going to cause the plane to shake but on the other side says Jesus is a reality that we've never experienced before and it's going to take the Holy Ghost to get you there because in and of yourselves you'd quit you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you because left to our own devices we'd stay exactly where we were we'd hear the vision We'd get the vision. We'd go, we hear that, Jesus. Oh, as you ascend, Maranatha, come back as quick as you can and get us. In the meantime, we're going to have a prayer meeting in the upper room. Amen. That's exactly what the disciples did, didn't they? They heard the vision, but after Jesus ascends into heaven, they stay in Jerusalem. They don't budge. Now, I know you and I think that we wouldn't be like that, that we would be out there engaging the world in all its complexity and all of its diversity, but my guess is that we're a little bit more like the disciples than we would like to think. All of us like our comfort zones. By a show of hands, do you get what I'm saying to you? We are people who understand our, our comfort places. I've got mine. And it's so easy to go back to them. And so we find ourselves right where Jesus left us, holding it down in the church. Amen. Hanging on to our own huddle, holy huddles, our own neighborhoods, our own socioeconomic backgrounds, and people who we like, and they like us. Really, you can't do everything. And so... We have carved out our own little homogeneous comfort zones that feel good to us. And so did the disciples. And it wasn't a bad thing that they did. They prayed. They chose new leaders. All of that was good stuff. But they weren't going to where Jesus said that they would go. I have a good friend. Her name is Elise Barrymore. And she's a preacher who likes the complexity of words. And once we were talking about this tendency of the church to stay where it is and not move forward into this complex, diverse world. And she said, you know, it's very interesting how easy it is to stay here. Everybody say here here. I, I said to her, you know, I heard Bill Hybels, the pastor of a very large church outside of Chicago where I'm from. It's called Willow Creek Church. And he said at, at a global leadership summit one day, he said, you know, I used to preach a lot to my church about how we should go there to this thing that Jesus is calling us to. He said, and I would preach my heart out about how to get them to go there. This, this being on mission and being a multi-ethnic the church and, and caring about people, the least, the lost, and, 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 and really being people who engaged the world and, and brought real change and transformation. And I would paint a picture of how great it would be to go there, and people would get hyped up for a while. But after a while, he said, they wouldn't go there, even though they seemed like they were excited about it, they would stay here. And he said, you know what I've learned? I got to stop preaching about how we're going to go there. And I got to help people understand why we can't stay here. 
Amen. He said, real preaching now is not trying to paint the vision of why we ought to go there. We've got to show people why it is not possible. It is not in our best self-interest to stay here. My friend Reverend Elise said, here is a place on the way to there that distinguishes somewhere from nowhere. I went, huh, here is a place of transition. It's the difference between where you are and where you could or should be. It's more than a location. It's more than being here this morning. Here represents a moment in time. It's positional and emotional. That's why when God would come to the, to the uh, prophets in the Old Testament who had gotten off mission, he would say to people like Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. How'd you get stuck here? I think that's when God has to move us. That's when God has to literally cause the plane to shake on us. That's when our grit is, is, is tested. That's when we decide if we're going to be transformational people or not. Jesus comes by the spirit of the Holy Ghost and comes and causes catalytic moments that force us to grapple with the fact that here will no longer work. And for them, it was the day of Pentecost. While they were having a nice, normal uh, prayer meeting, amen, a wonderful little prayer meeting, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God showed up in the church. Go figure. And this is what happened. Listen to the Word of God in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And I hope it happens to you too. So get ready, Chuck Yeager. Get ready as you are in your cockpit because these are the kinds of things that God makes us, uses to make us move. Listen, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributed and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were be bewildered because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and wondered saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Cretans, and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? I'm learning something about how God moves. I'm learning that God has a way of causing the church to be what it was always intended to be in the beginning. 
from the very beginning, it was God's intention that the church would be a multilingual, multinational, multicultural, multigenerational expression of who God is, period. That's the mission. <laughs> no matter where we find ourselves here, that was what we were intended to be. But they got stuck in the upper room. They weren't moving. And so here they are having this real nice prayer meeting, and all of a sudden people catch on fire. Lord, I wish we had a church meeting where every now and then somebody would catch on fire, and, and, and they would stop having protocol, and they wouldn't wait for the worship team to say stand up, but when you catch on fire, you stand up automatically, and people would just start moving and moving around, and people would have to take notice, and people who usually don't think about God, wonder about God, start gathering around people on fire. Amen. Ah, what would happen if we had an on fire church? People would come and wonder in amazement, what does this mean? What does it mean that people who shouldn't be talking to each other actually get along? What does it mean that people who come from different nationality and socioeconomic backgrounds have some ability to be a family? What is this? This is not how politics work. So what is it about these people? That's when our testimony becomes believable. That's when we become credible witnesses. That's when we swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. So help us God, people cannot distinguish, they cannot discredit what we have to say because our life and our witness match up together. What we say and what we do look the same and people can't argue with that. Hallelujah. But I'll tell you something. I used to think that God mobilized us into diverse places like Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the outermost parts of the world and then to Papua New Guinea and then to those far-flung places around the world. And it's not to say that world mission is not what we should be doing. We should, but we shall not be people who have an ability to do it there and an inability to do it here. Amen. <laughs> that was never the vision. Jesus says, do it here and then realize you can't stay here because my power will demand more of you. You see, if you stay in Jerusalem, you can use your own power. But if you start going into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, now that's going to require my power because you won't always understand it. You won't always be able to figure it out with your own intellectual strength. It's going to take spiritual power. And so now they're getting it, but it doesn't look like what they thought it was gonna look like. But here, let me tell you this. What is amazing to me is that the word that Jesus used when he says that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria is not singular. I have been reading this text wrong for a long time. What Jesus said to them is you together, plural, you will be my witnesses. Not you and you and you and you, but all of you. The witness can't happen individually. <laughs> the witness can't happen individually. No matter how sincere we are, 
No matter how much we can say, I didn't do anything. No matter how much we can say, I can speak Spanish. No matter how much we say, I have a friend who is from whatever socioeconomic or racial background. We can't just say, I am doing great. It's not about what I am doing. It's about what we are doing together. And you together will be my witnesses together. And you'll do it in Jerusalem together and in Judea together. And then together you will be this witnessing community that speaks other languages, that eats different foods, that has a knowledge of other cultures. And when you get there, you will not be discredited because your witness will be matched with the lifestyle that I'm calling you to as you change. Now listen to this. What Chuck Yeager discovered was what people thought would kill him changed him. What people thought would kill him would actually changed him. My brothers and my sisters, most people assume that if we really took this thing of being the multi-ethnic, multicultural, multilingual, multi-generational, socioeconomically diverse people of God vision seriously, that we couldn't grow a large church that way. People won't come. Folks will unfriend us on Facebook, and they will. That if we start talking about justice and reconciliation and the kingdom of God, including all people, folks won't like us and they won't come to our church and they'll think we've gotten way too radical and we're political and we're not spiritual anymore. Whatever happened to the gospel? And so we back off of it like Chuck Yeager and other pilots who tried because the rhetoric is that it's not possible. It will kill our church if we do. It'll kill our friendships if we keep pushing in this direction. It'll kill our ministry. Our youth are going to get corrupted. And so we want to. The tendency is to pull back on the throttle and not press forward. But if we can learn anything from this analogy of this man, here's what I think it is. I think what Chuck Yeager has taught me is that actually what Jesus called us to as his disciples is not just so we can go out there and be nice to all the people who need us, even though that would be a great thing to do. This is what I've discovered. Every sound barrier that we break through changes us. Every time we, the church, scared with our knees knocking and our teeth chattering, push through Jerusalem, we get changed. And a little bit more courage comes into the spirit of the church. And a little bit more sense of mission comes into us. And then we kind of go, well, let's try Judea. And we get into the political places and the socioeconomic divides. And we get into those places around the things that scare us. May I dare say the subcultures that like, oh, so messy. What do we do when we try to understand these complex issues? It's going to scare us to talk about sexuality and what people are saying about it. And I said it intentionally just to show you how scared even I am to know we're being pushed to be people on mission in a world where the issues are complex. And we're going to be scared to death and we're going to want to pull back on the throttle. But Chuck Yeager would say to us, keep going forward. Don't let your fear undermine your faith. Go for it. 
Because if you will, <laughs> by the time you break through another sound barrier, more courage will come into your heart and you will have more faith to move forward to the next. And when you do, you will find an existence, some place on the other side that you didn't even know was possible. Other churches dare not even dream the wonders that could happen on the other side of the thing that they, we thought would kill us when it actually literally transforms us. So my brothers and my sisters, as I take my seat, I hear God saying, God is at work. We're not being called to do this by ourselves. And because we can't do it as individuals, that's why I felt I had to preach this message to us about what was intended for the church in the beginning. We were always intended to do it together, different perspectives different sociological backgrounds and socioeconomic backgrounds and different racial ethnic perspectives, different cultural perspectives. Jesus says you will do it, but you're not going to be able to break through those sound barriers by yourself. Find more people. Be on mission together. And if you do it, the world will gather around you and say, what's going on at, oh, at, at Overlake? What's happening with those people. I usually don't go to church, but I'm gonna give it a shot because something about those folks, man, is amazing. I mean, I literally can't stop watching them. I, I, I wanna meet the folks who lead this kind of church. I thought the church was irrelevant. I thought the church was dead and gone. I just thought I would just basically be a spiritual person and not a person who had any faith connection, but I can't seem to keep my eyes off Overlake. I can't seem to stop watching their ministry and listening to their sermons. Something about them is amazing, and I don't know what it is, but it makes me want to ask more questions than the runaway. It makes me want to ask, what does this mean? And I pray that when they ask you, you will stand to your feet and you will raise your hand and give your testimony as witnesses to the kingdom of God that's made up of people from every tribe and every nation and every language. It is not a dream. It's what God calls us to be. Amen. And the people of God said, amen. Let it be so in the name of Jesus. I'm so sorry. I didn't... Oh. <laughs> oh, Overlake, it's good to hear a real preacher every once in a while. <laughs> Dr. Brenda, thank you so much. That is, that is. It's powerful and it's appropriate, and we are, we're challenged today. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, here's what I want to do. I want to I, I close our time in prayer and, uh, and go to the offering right now. I, I would ask that you finish filling out those connection cards uh, that I mentioned a little bit earlier. You can drop those in the bucket. And, uh, and as we continue to worship, we give as an act of worship, we're going to continue to sing uh, to the Lord and to worship Jesus. My challenge is just what was brought, that, that we would actually wrestle with how together we fit in this call of, of Christ, how together we, we say, yeah, how, we want to minister in Jerusalem, we want to break through that barrier into Judea, we want to break through that barrier into Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. How do, how do we do it together? So as we pray, let's, let's just ask Jesus to take us there, okay? 
Lord, we thank you. We thank you for Dr. Brenda. We thank you for the passion and the power and the eloquence that you have given her that she has shared with us. And, and we feel stirred and challenged and motivated right now. And Holy Spirit, we want to give you just the, the opportunity to speak directly to us. We want to give you the opportunity to, to move us intentionally. Uh, we don't want to leave today unchanged. And so we ask that you'd continue to minister to us. Find us courageous, Lord. We want to be like, like Chuck Yeager. We want to, want to keep pushing forward, even though the, the plane's shaking. And so we just trust you, and we ask that you lead us from this place. And pray it all in your name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.